Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Altitude Crime. I'm Amelia Allen, and we are talking Colorado true crime stories. So I do have an update. Altitude Crime has a brand new website, so I would go and check it out at altitudecrime.com. But another reason I would check it out is since the holidays are coming here soon, I am having a sale on merchandise. You can get 20% off up through December 21st, so it's going to run for a month. If you go to the new website, again, altitudecrime.com, you will see a tab at the top that says shop, and that will get you on over to the merchandise, which is hosted off of Etsy. And I have added quite a few new products, so go get a little something for the crime lover in your life. So also in preparation for the holidays, as we have Thanksgiving here in the U.S. happening here soon, I am covering a crime that happened on Thanksgiving a few years ago. So I had a recommendation to do a crime specifically from Woodland Park, and that's where this crime takes place in addition to being one for the upcoming holiday. So I wanna give a huge shout out to my really good friends, April and Tristan. They asked for an episode out of this city, so this one is for them. So the case we're gonna cover today did garner national attention, and some of you may be wondering why I haven't covered it yet, because it was really huge here in Colorado and nationwide a few years ago. So let's think for a moment. How do you spend your Thanksgiving? You might be cooking, watching football, watching the Macy's Day Parade, or whatever other festivities your family gets into. For Kelsey Barreth, who is the victim in our story, her day was shopping and cooking for Thanksgiving dinner. She visited Safeway, which is a grocery store here in Colorado. It may go by other names in other parts of the nation. And her purchases were a poinsettia and the items to make a sweet potato casserole for her little family. According to CBS News' reporting, the last text that went from Kelsey's phone was to her fiancé, and it said, quote, I bought some sweet potatoes in case you wanted sweet potato casserole, but I forgot to get pecans, so if you want some, get some, unquote. Little would she ever know, Kelsey would not get to enjoy the meal that she labored over that day. Kelsey Barrett was born on September 15, 1989, in Washington, and grew up in Moses Lake. She also had a brother named Clint who was two years younger than her, and they grew up on the family farm. From an early age, Kelsey had a fascination with aviation. This began when her dream job working on the farm was to become a crop duster. At the time of her death, Kelsey was 29 years old. And while she was a person who could be shy at first, everyone who knew her said she was easy to get along with. Kelsey was a flight instructor, and her job took her between Grand Junction, Pueblo, and Falcon, Colorado. She essentially had her dream job. And she was also building a little family. She was engaged to Patrick Frazee, who was 33 and from Florissant, Colorado, and he worked as a rancher. The two had met online, and she moved to Colorado in 2016 in order to be closer to him. 
She moved to Woodland Park, which is about 45 minutes outside of Colorado Springs and into the mountains. And she commuted from Woodland Park to the different areas of Colorado that she worked in. She and Frozzie had a kid together named Kaylee. Kaylee was born on October 5th, 2017. She ended up staying a few weeks in the NICU in Colorado Springs, which is the closest larger hospital to Woodland Park. But once she was out of NICU and back in the home, she was a happy baby and well-mannered. Kelsey was a devoted mom, and she was just proud to be a mother and doted on Kaylee. Any person who knew Kelsey Barreth only had kind things to say about the person that she was. So the timeline of this case can get a little convoluted, so I am going to cover the case in chronological order. Uh, While I realize it's not quite as dramatic as a lot of places cover this case, it is a lot easier to understand the nuances of everything that happens in the investigation and through the trial. Enter in a third player to our story. That's Crystal Lee Kinney. In some places, her name is Crystal Lee. In some, it's Crystal Kinney. She had changed her name at some point. I'm going to refer to her just as Kinney for the remainder of the episode, just to alleviate any confusion. Kinney was 32 and lived in Idaho where she was a nurse. She and Frazee had known each other for almost 10 years and had a very complicated relationship. It's really even hard to understand going through the most recent documents what that situation really was. She had dated him previously and apparently in 2016 and 2017 the two had been involved sexually and this was at a point that Kelsey and Frazee already were together and she'd already moved to Colorado for him. So it seems that there's this kind of long ongoing affair, but it's never really defined. And so it's very kind of hard to understand the dynamic there. Investigators in this case were originally made aware of the relationship between Frozzie and Kinney by her ex-husband. I'm not sure why the two split. So I can't tell you if the reasoning for that is because of this relationship with Frozzie or what the deal is. Kinney's involvement in this case was also pinpointed by an Idaho couple named Patty and Joe Rockstall. One of their employees was really, really close friends with Kinney. And this person had mentioned the relationship she had with Frozzie. According to this employee, Kinney and Frozzie had started to see each other shortly after they graduated from high school. According to this couple, the narrative that Frazee had set was that Kelsey was unhinged and he was worried that she would hurt their daughter Kaylee. On the opposite side of the involvement, one of Kelsey's friends from elementary school, Ashley Cogburn, initially suspected that Frazee did something to Kelsey, given the state of their relationship. Frazee seemed to always kind of be mad at Kelsey about something and tended to say some demeaning things to her. The killing of Kelsey Barrett was months in the process. Frazee had even tried to get Kinney to do it herself three different times, and she considered each time, but never fully went through with it. These started as far back as September 2018. This is a couple months before the Thanksgiving that we talked about at the beginning of the episode where this murder takes place. In the first instance, she drove from Idaho, followed Frazee's instructions to poison a cup of coffee from Starbucks and bring it to Kelsey's condo. And I'm not really sure what happened from there, but that was a failed or 
stopped attempt. And then after that, he encouraged her to attack Kelsey in the parking lot near her condo with a metal pipe. Not the least bit brutal way to kill somebody. And then the last option that he gave her was to beat Kelsey with a baseball bat. Again, not clean or easy or somewhat not terrible for the person who's being murdered. So you can see where his headspace was already at this point. The actual killing would take place on November 22nd, 2018, which like I said, was Thanksgiving Day that year. So let's break down the day's events. Between 1 and 4 a.m. that day, there's brief contact between Kelsey and Frazee, including a very short phone call. Again, between 9 and 10 a.m., there's some more contact, including another short phone call. At 12.27 p.m., Kelsey is seen on surveillance footage from Safeway, the grocery store in Woodland Park. She had her baby with her. And at 12.31 p.m., there's another phone exchange between Frazee and Kelsey. Ten minutes later, there's a text message exchange. And at 12.54 p.m., Kelsey makes another stop at Walmart. Now, supposedly at this time, there is a meetup with the two to exchange Kaylee, their daughter, between each other. A little while later, at 1.24 p.m., Frazee is on Kelsey's neighbor's surveillance camera. The story of the murder that Frazee would end up telling Crystal Kinney was that he blindfolded Kelsey, asked her to smell a couple of different scented candles, and then struck her with a baseball bat to the face. He then continued to beat her until he had beaten her to death. And this was all while Kelsey was begging him to stop. And while their daughter Kaylee was in the next room. And you might wonder what he did after this. He sat down to enjoy his own Thanksgiving dinner. A couple hours later, at 3.36 p.m., Frazee leaves the apartment and is caught again on the neighbor's security camera. Now, both of these pieces of footage with the neighbor's camera were in conflict to what he originally told police. He said he had seen Kelsey earlier that morning at the time that they exchanged Kaylee and then never again. So this was immediately a red flag to his story. Not long after he left Kelsey's condo, Crystal Kinney got a text from Frazee at 4.30 p.m. And according to Stephanie Butzer's reporting for the Denver Channel, it said, quote, You need to get here now. You've got a mess to clean up, unquote. And I just want to take a moment to understand how disgusting that is on so many levels that he would phrase it that way, that he would even do what he did, and that Crystal Kinney would be there ready to help him cover it up. And that's exactly what happened. After the killing, Crystal Kinney drove to Colorado to help with getting rid of evidence and cleaning up Kelsey's condo. By November 24th, Kinney and Frazee's phones were both pinging off the same tower near Florissant, Colorado, very close to Woodland Park, and in the same town where Frazee lived and worked as a rancher. Kinney helped dispose of quite a few things. She took bloody items from the scene that could not be cleaned, things like children's toys or pillows. She supposedly found what she thought was a tooth when she was cleaning up the scene and took that away too. She, of course, bleached and got rid of any blood evidence within the house. And she also disposed of Kelsey's keys and a gun. Not a murder weapon, but it was a gun that belonged to Kelsey. 
There was still enough blood for investigators to find in the home on some odd places like ceilings and door handles that did alert them to the actual crime scene later on. There was also male DNA found at the scene that was able to be linked to Frazee. He did at one point ask Kenny to take Kelsey's body to Idaho, and that was where she drew the line. That was just far too much to ask. Kenny also watched as Frazee burned Kelsey's body that had been placed in a large black storage tote. This tote was put in a 100-gallon trough, and he started the fire with gasoline and motor oil. She was also present when he was trying to mislead investigators by sending random texts from Kelsey's phone. And then she took that phone with her when she returned to Idaho. On November 25th, the phone had pinged off a tower in Gooding, Idaho, hundreds of miles away from Colorado. Also this day, a text was sent from the phone to Kelsey's boss saying that she would not be at work that day. When both Kelsey's mom and boss got texts from her and realized it was not her normal diction, punctuation, or things that she would do like missing work, it definitely alerted them. And in the meantime, while some people were getting texts from Kelsey's, other texts were going completely unanswered. After a few texts that Kelsey's brother, Clinton, had sent to her went unanswered, he brought this to his mom's attention. Kelsey's mom reported her as a missing person on December 2nd after not being able to get a hold of her. The rest of Kelsey's family did not live in Colorado, so it wouldn't have been odd for them to have a few days that they didn't see each other or didn't talk, so that is why there's a little bit of a gap there. The police ended up calling Frazee once Kelsey was reported missing, and his demeanor was immediately off. He didn't seem overly concerned. He couldn't provide an exact date for when he and Kelsey exchanged their daughter. And he did confirm that the two had broken up. Frazee also called Kelsey's mom the same day and told her that him and Kelsey had broken up and he'd started to return some of Kelsey's belongings to her, and one of these would be the gun that would that Crystal Kinney had returned. The prosecution explained that they felt the gun became an important possession to be back in Kelsey's home, as it was kind of a setup to say that Kelsey had killed herself with said gun. Frazee also told Kelsey's mom that he thought she had just flown somewhere to visit friends. But Cheryl Barrett knew that was unlike her daughter as she told her mom details like this and plans when she was doing things like this. After this conversation on the phone, Cheryl never heard from Frazee again. He never checked in on what was going on in Kelsey's investigation, and when they held a vigil for her, he didn't attend that either. The next day after reporting Kelsey missing, her mom and brother both flew to Woodland Park to see what they could find. Once they were there, they went to Kelsey's condo, and nothing really looked amiss. But her phone, keys, and purse were all missing. But they did notice some other small items missing, too. These would have been the ones that Kenny threw away as she was doing cleanup in the condo. A few days after this, Clinton ended up finding blood on the toilet in the condo and called police to tell them right away. So while it seems Kenny had done a good job cleaning up, there was a lot of evidence found at at Kelsey's condo. These included marks on the couch from being cleaned, floorboards that ended up being pulled from the condo that were blood-soaked, and investigators were able to take pictures of black storage totes similar to what Kelsey's body was allegedly put into and burned. The same day on December 4th, police take hold of Frazee's phone and start using it to find evidence. 
A few days later, on December 10th, a news conference was held saying that they were looking for Kelsey. Was she somewhere alive? Was she somewhere hurt? To see if the public could help locate her. The following day, on December 11th, the Safeway surveillance was released. And on December 12th, Frazee had a public statement released. His attorney basically put out a statement saying that he'd been fully cooperating with the investigators. On the same day, Frazee would do something that would actually end up in the affidavit for the case. He listed people who could provide medical care for his daughter, Kaylee. In the affidavit, it talks about, quote, of particular interest, Kelsey Barreth's name is not on the list, presumably because she is deceased, unquote. And from here, things really start to ramp up. On December 14th and 15th, a warrant was executed at Frazee's residence in Florissant, and police searched the home specifically for Kelsey's body, but found nothing. They also ended up interviewing Crystal Kinney over the phone, and in this initial interview, she lied about her involvement. But that would not last. On December 20th, 2018, Kinney ended up agreeing to a plea bargain. She would testify against Frazee for the killing of Kelsey Barrett, and as part of the plea, she would plead guilty to tampering with evidence and serve a sentence for that crime. Following her agreement to do a plea bargain, the following day on December 21st, Frazee was arrested, and on the same day, authorities publicly said that they did not think Kelsey was alive, even though they had still not found her or her body. Frazee was held without bond in the Teller County Jail. The investigation really ramped up in those 48 hours prior to his arrest, and it really was fast moving on investigators' part. You will see in some things that that weekend prior to the arrest when they had searched his property and found nothing, it was Crystal Kinney that then could go back with them and point out some places that there was evidence of the burning of the body at the ranch that Frazee lived on. The preliminary hearing for the case took place on Tuesday, February 19th, 2019, and law enforcement really had kept a lot of details in this case really close to the vest. There wasn't a lot publicly known, even down to the motive, until this case saw a courtroom. On October 28th, 2019, jury selection began, and the jury started as seven women and five men, with two men and two women as alternates. The official trial began on November 1st, 2019, and took place in the courtroom in Cripple Creek, again, not very far from Woodland Park. The head prosecutor in the case was Jennifer Veyman, and she had some challenges going into this case. First of all, there was no murder weapon ever found, although we do know that Kelsey was killed with a baseball bat. Said baseball bat was never located. In addition to not having a murder weapon to prosecute with, this was also a no-body case. At the time that the trial started, and to this day, Kelsey's body has never been found. And this was where there was great need for Crystal Kinney's testimony in order to put Frazee behind bars. Frazee pled not guilty to all of the charges, but there's never really been, from what I can find, any kind of alternate story put forth of why it's not him. The defense did cite that all of the evidence was circumstantial and held that the story that Kenny created really was just to match with information already known and that overall her testimony should be unreliable. The defense pushed on this as well as if she knew all of these things, why did she never alert authorities when she knew about a murder plot for months? However, Kenny's plea deal would have been void if she could have not been able to back up her story in court. The prosecution showed the times that Kenny's statements were corroborated with surveillance video. 
There's surveillance from a fluorescent Colorado Conoco that showed Frazee filling up a gas can. And Kenny had explained how the two left their cars at this location while they went to go burn Kelsey's body. And she also pointed out a time when she was done cleaning up the condo, she went and picked up lunch and a drink for Frazee. And this was also proven via camera footage at the Sonic that she went to. And I'm going to stop here again. We'll get into a lot of my thoughts at the end of this episode. But the fact that this woman is cleaning up a crime scene for this man and then goes and gets him lunch just like sends me over the edge. Just, yeah, reading that just absolutely incensed me. But while Kenny's testimony made up most of the damning evidence against Frazee, he did his own too. According to Allison Silt's reporting for Nine News, Frazee had gone to a cell phone store after the murder to ask if cell phone records could still be taken from a phone that was broken or destroyed. Not the least bit suspect. As the trial unfolded, the plot also thickened. Frazee had asked another inmate to help him by murdering trial witnesses. The inmate ended up testifying at his murder trial. And on top of it, the entire conversation was immortalized in 17 physical letters written between the two inmates. Included on his list of hits was Crystal Kinney, Kinney's Idaho friend Michelle Stein, Frazee's friend John Moore, who had already testified in his trial by that point, and John Moore's partner, Wendy Clark. Also on the list was CBI agent Greg Slater and the DA, Dan May. In these letters, he described what each mark looked like and where they currently lived. CBI agent Slater was able to later confirm that the information Frazee had provided was correct and could have led a hitman to all of the people on his list. According to Stephanie Butzer's reporting for the Denver Channel, one of these letters said he would, quote, really like to see Kenny with a bullet in her head, unquote. Now, you might wonder what Frazee's reaction was to asking about these hired hits. According to Allison Silt's reporting for Nine News, he said, quote, he was a fool, unquote. I think we can all agree on that. The investigation into this was given to another investigation team. Being that DA Dan May's name was on the list, it made it a conflict of interest for the current prosecution team to look into it. So it's unclear on if he will at some point get additional charges or time for this if it's proven. Once the prosecution was done with their witnesses, Frazee's attorneys did not call any witnesses at all. And I always find this a little bit interesting because this does tend to happen in instances where the defendant is guilty. Doesn't mean it's 100%. Doesn't mean there's total psychology there. But it is hard to defend a position that doesn't exist. Going into deliberation, one surveillance video or still of this video had drawn really passionate debate. It shows Frazee entering Kelsey's condo and some people see a baseball bat in his hand while the defense said it was really just a sweatshirt balled up in his hand. At the point of deliberation, the jury was six men and six women with alternates moved in and the jury was encouraged to consider second degree murder and manslaughter if they felt they could not convict on first degree murder. The difference would have been a second degree would have been a term of 8 to 24 years in jail and manslaughter is only 2 to 6 years. 
The jury deliberated for just shy of four hours and found Frazee guilty on all the charges against him. This included two first-degree murder counts, three counts of solicitation to commit murder for the three times that he asked Kenny to commit Kelsey's murder for him, and tampering with a deceased body. He was sentenced to life in prison, plus 156 years for the maximum of all six counts that he was found guilty of. Frazee will spend the rest of his life in prison. Throughout both the trial and the verdict coming back, Frazee showed no emotion. Crystal Kinney testified against Frazee on the stand for two days. She also went with investigators to the Florissant Ranch where Frazee and his mother lived and pointed out the metal trough where the black storage tote that held Kelsey's remains was burned. In this area, investigators would find some melted black plastic to legitimize her story. There is also a note in one article that says there was possibly a human tooth found here, but I have not seen any more about it or it being linked to Kelsey or anything like that, so I don't know how legitimate that was or if it was just determined to be some other material. Prior to burning the tote with Kelsey's body in it, she testified that Frazee had stored the tote at a ranch in Fremont County that he had leased to do work on. A cadaver dog had also been brought in and signaled in this area. In a video walkthrough with Crystal Kinney and investigators, she pointed out the areas where she cleaned up blood in Kelsey's condo. Kinney had also gotten rid of Kelsey's cell phone during the cleanup, as I mentioned earlier. She took it back to her resident state of Idaho, where it pinged off of a tower in Idaho. It was clear to anyone who knew the evidence against Crystal Kinney that she was involved in far more than just a cleanup of a crime scene. She got rid of evidence, she tampered with a body, she helped mislead investigators. There was a lot involved there. Kinney's lawyers had posed that Frazee had manipulated her and that she feared what he would do to her, causing her to be part of the crime just to avoid getting hurt herself. The DA would later say that the plea was not ideal and that Lee should have gotten a lot longer in jail, but it was a sacrifice that they had to make in order to ensure that Frazee was put away for good. According to Allison Silt's reporting for Nine News, Kinney had said, quote, I'm sorry for everybody that's been affected by this horrible tragedy. I'm sorry that I did not save Kelsey, unquote. Kinney's lawyers had pushed for one year in prison and then probation. This was based on the fact that Kinney had no prior criminal history. But her added involvement in the cleanup and misleading and disposing of evidence is part of what caused the judge to give her the maximum sentence that he could. Again, according to Allison Silt's reporting for Nine News, Judge Scott Sells said, quote, to consider probation would minimize the depravity of your actions. Simply saying I'm sorry is not enough. Your actions deserve the maximum sentence permitted by law, unquote. She ended up being sentenced to three years in jail, and that's the maximum that she could receive given her plea agreement. This sentence would then be followed by a year of mandatory parole. Kelsey's parents ended up also filing a wrongful death lawsuit against Patrick Frazee. This civil lawsuit was based on the false statements that he made to her mother on the phone call on December 2nd, in which he talked about he and Kelsey breaking up, he talked about that he thought she went on a trip, etc., etc. Frazee's attorneys, in turn, filed to dismiss the civil lawsuit, saying that they had no right to sue him to begin with. 
According to Kelsey's parents, Frazy and Kelsey would have had an ensuing custody battle from them breaking up, and Kelsey would have wanted a 50-50 split on custody while they assumed Frazy wanted full custody of their child, and that is what resulted in her death. I haven't seen any more regarding this wrongful death lawsuit, so it either was just not reported on or it did go nowhere This case would come up in the news again in February 2021, when Crystal Kinney had her sentence vacated. An appeals court ruled that there was a procedural error in her case by the presiding judge, and she would need to be re-sentenced for her crime. The maximum sentence for tampering with physical evidence, which is the charge that was placed on her in addition to the plea agreement, by law is 18 months. The judge in the case thought that the details were aggravating factors, and that's why he gave her a longer sentence than that. But Kenny didn't actually meet the criteria for typical aggravating factors. These usually come into play when a defendant has a criminal history or they are on parole or probation when they commit the crime. Also, typically a jury has to be present to determine if these factors apply to a sentencing. Kenny was not informed that she had the right to a jury for the sentencing. So basically, when the judge informed her of what rights she gave up by taking the plea and doing a sentencing without a jury, he didn't do so specifically enough. This caused the law to basically be misapplied, and the judge sentenced her to a bit more than he really legally had the right to. It's not that he did anything wrong, but it's definitely a procedural error. At this point, Kenny had served 13 months, and given time deducted for good behavior, she could essentially be out on a parole. The following month in March 2021, she was resentenced to the actual maximum, which was 18 months. The sentence was set to start when she originally started her longer sentence, which means she was released from prison and put on parole. Thanksgiving will never be the same for the Barrett family, as life continues without their dear Kelsey. Kelsey's parents ended up gaining custody of Kaylee after multiple custody hearings trying to change this, and they intend to adopt her if they haven't already. Kelsey's family also planned to set up an aviation scholarship in her honor, and in order to set up the said scholarship, Frazee would be required to give a determined amount of money to the cause. Kelsey's employer, L3 DOS Aviation, named a flight tower after her. So this was a bit longer one. Let's get into some thoughts on this case. And I'm going to warn you, I have a lot and I'm probably going to get real riled up at one point. So musing number one, this is a great case showing kind of the, the hard thing about doing plea agreements with people that you know are guilty of doing something. Because really, without Kenny's testimony, they really didn't have much to pin Frazee to this murder. He really did not leave a lot of evidence behind in being both a no-murder weapon and no-body case. They probably wouldn't have gotten a conviction without her. So it is one of those things that you have to kind of swallow down that she's going to get less time and be a free person, but at least he isn't. Musing number two. This one bothered me. The point where Frazee basically claimed that Kelsey was an abusive mother and that's why he had to get rid of her to protect his child. It just like on top of everything he did to her physically and taking her life away, like to put that nugget out there of like tarnishing her reputation, although I'm sure most everybody would not believe it. It's just one of those things that just like infuriates me. Musing number three. 
So we've talked about things like strangling and things like that and how personal that is. Now, the rage you have to have to kill someone with a baseball bat. This showed like he hated her for like a while to be able to do that. Like you could really probably kill somebody with one blow. But given the amount of blood that was listed as being in the house, I'm pretty sure that's not the case. So he really had a lot of hatred for her. Musing number four. Cases like this always kill me. Or cases that you see that like the person wants to get divorced, but they don't want to go through a divorce, so they kill the person. Like he supposedly did this so that he could protect his child. But what are you like, what's going to happen now? Like, you're never going to see your child ever again now. Like, really, how did you think this was going to go? It's just so beyond disappointing is not even the right word because you took somebody's life. You did this to somebody's family because you couldn't think of a better option or you couldn't think that maybe the option you had was better than the option you got. Musing number five. Here's another one that's going to make me mad. So in looking into Kelsey's technological evidence, her last Google search was to find some source of relief for Frazee's common stomach pains. So while this guy is planning for months to kill her, like she is still caring for him. Like it just, ugh, men like this. I just can't even. Musing number six. So I I feel like this comes up a lot and I, at the same time, it's like, should it be an indicator? So the thought that when police first talked to Frazee and he didn't act right. And I think everybody takes the devil's advocate position of, well, how is someone supposed to act? How do you know you're going to act a certain way at a certain time with a trauma like this? But the thing is, is a big majority of the time the suspicion rings true and the person did what people are suspecting them of. So as much as you maybe want to give a person benefit of the doubt, this actually plays out like pretty often. Musing number seven. I'm going to dive into Crystal Kinney here a little bit because she probably makes me much more upset than Patrick Frazee. So she knew that what she was doing was wrong. She either said no or backed out on these other times that he tried to get her to kill Kelsey. So what made this time different? And I maybe understand the like, he's intimidating you and you think you're going to do it so that he won't hurt you. But really, like, why would you think that he just wouldn't do the same to you? Like, he has no problem erasing the woman that gave birth to his child off the face of the planet. Like, who are you? Like, what's to say he's not going to do the same to you? So I just don't understand how, like, you say no and no and no, and then you're like, ah, it's okay. Yeah, this time will be fine. Musing number eight. So Kenny has said at some points that she intentionally left some of the blood splatter behind for investigators to find and eventually know that there was a crime. And I'm just going to say I'm not buying it. Like you went through all these other things. You bought gasoline to burn her body with like she's a piece of trash, but you left blood splatter behind on purpose. Like you just didn't do a good enough cleaning job. That's where I'm at with that. Musing number nine. So I know this is everybody's legal right, but again, I'm going to harp on Kenny again. The gall to go for an appeal to get a lighter sentence. Like I get that's what happened and I get that's the judicial system, but to have already done this to a human and and then go back, I I just, I cannot, I, I cannot with the dynamics of this case. Musing number 10. Part of what kills me so much about this case is 
as women, we are told all of these rules and all of these horror stories, and you're always expecting a man to hurt you. And cases like this make me so mad because women on a daily basis have so much going against them when it comes to their safety that it just infuriates me when it's another woman that is then shattering what safety you think you can have. And on top of it, to be doing this for a man and like he obviously like used her like she may have had good feelings for him and whatever or whatever the dynamic was that really led to this happening but that's the hardest thing for me is like we have so much to fight for as women and protecting ourselves from men that the the fact that a woman can do this to another woman just absolutely incenses me and I'm probably being more harsh on her than I am Frazee which he's definitely not off the hook here but he obviously needed her help to carry this out so there it is musing number 11 another thing that is so tough about cases like this is when on top of being murdered and having your life snuffed out When somebody's remains are desecrated or never found, there's no body to bury, there's no closure for that family, and just all pieces taken away from them. It's these cases where bodies are never found or burned or chopped up or whatever, it just absolutely devastates me because it's just a whole nother level of desecration to that person and that person's dignity. Musing number 12, and this is my last one. I know I'm like unloading a lot here. The last one is, and I'll leave a link to this book. There is a book called The Murder of Kelsey Barrett, A Shocking True Crime Story by Rod Cackley. I did not read this book in going into this episode, uh, mainly because sometimes I'm a little probably judgy about these books that come out really fast after something like this happens. I feel like there's always something more to unfold. Like here we saw Crystal Kinney's sentencing change. I feel like the dust doesn't settle very quickly, kind of no matter how cut and dry the case is. So I didn't read it going into this episode, but I will leave a link on altitudecrime.com if you do want to check it out for yourself. Okay, guys, that's it for today. I do want to apologize a little bit. Um, I don't know if the quality on this recording is bugging you or not. It is getting colder here in Colorado and my heat is kicking on and off. So you might hear a little white noise there in the background when the heat comes on. Hope that hasn't been too annoying for you. And I do know that Frazee, I said his name wrong a few times right in the beginning. For some reason, I have struggled with his last name. I don't know why. It's not that hard. Uh, But thanks for sticking it through with me on that. As always, don't forget to follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I have some midweek content that will be coming in over the next few months. So if you're not subscribed, you won't know that that comes out. As always, you can connect with me on social media. Instagram is Altitude Crime Podcast and Facebook and Twitter is Altitude Crime. And like I said earlier, the website is new and improved. So source materials are on there as always. But there is a link to shop. There is going to be a sale on all Altitude Crime merch until December 21st for 20% off all items. So the holidays are coming up. Get your crime merch for your crime friend and your crime family and everybody. I would love to see more people wearing altitude crime. If you get some merchandise, please tag a picture on social or post it on Etsy. I'd love to see you guys supporting and showing off your altitude crime merch. 
All right. Well, that is all for today. Thanks for hanging in for all the many thoughts I have on this case. It's definitely uh, been a hard one to go over, but I will talk to you next week on Altitude Crime. Episode 34, Kelsey Barrett, The Last Thanksgiving, was written, recorded, and edited by Amelia Allen. Music provided by podbean.com.